Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 4. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Then said I, All Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, I sh you shall speak. But do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my word in your mouth, and see this day I have set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, and it's a light unto our path. I pray that this morning that the anointing would come upon not only your servant as he speaks, but your people as they hear. And God, I pray that you would do a work in this place today that would be undeniable. Lord, may we not come today just to hear a sermon, but may we receive a word from the Lord to us. So I pray that you would do something strong and undeniable in the midst of your people today. And Lord, we'll be so careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated this morning. And truly, truly, it's so glad, so good to see each and every one of you this morning. Uh, we've been in a series entitled Courageous. And uh, if you've been tracking with us at all over the last couple of weeks, we have been covering some things that have been pretty impactful. Uh, first of all, we covered a man by the name of Naboth. Naboth was a uh, man who had a vineyard next to um, Ahab and Jezebel's palace. And it was obviously very prosperous and productive. And one day King Ahab looked and he saw Naboth's vineyard and decided he wanted it for himself. But Naboth stood up that day and decided that what his fathers had given him were not for sale. And how many of you know we learned that week that some things are just not for sale? Our character, our integrity, our call from God, the things that have been passed down to us from generation to generation. And we learned that there's some things that we simply have to take a stand for. Then the week after that, we learned about a man by the name of Shammah. He was one of David's three mighty men, one of his bodyguards. And one day while they were out in the field, the Bible says the Philistines came and tried to devour their crops. And the Bible says that Shammah stood and stationed himself in the middle of the field of the lentils, and he slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. That week we learned that even the small things are worth standing up for because if the enemy comes after your small stuff, he's ultimately coming after your big stuff. Then last week we learned about Jochebed, the mother of Moses, how she defied the king's orders to kill all of the little male children, but rather she hid him for three months and put him in a basket and floated him down the river, ultimately delivering the deliverer. And Moses came forth into the scene, setting the people of Israel free from Egyptian bondage. This morning, though, I want to talk to you about another aspect of courage. I want to talk to you about somebody that maybe we would not put into this category, but this morning, I want to talk to you from the life of the prophet Jeremiah. And I've entitled this message this morning, Giving God Your Yes. Can you say that with me? Giving God Your Yes. We're talking about courage. 
And if you were to ask people about courage and what the definition of that is, different people would likely give you different answers. But I like the way one person said it. They said it like this. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. I want you to imagine being in the midst of a city, and you're there to watch a spectacular feat as the circus had come to town and their big top tent had, had pitched its place in the middle of the town, but yet at the end of it they announced a grand finale. One of the acrobats was going to um, uh, walk a tightrope across the skyscrapers of a high city, and they tied a high line between two buildings, and all of the crowd is there watching, looking up their heads as this person is about to make this daring feat across two buildings. The tension is in the air. Everybody is wondering what's going to happen. Of course, the fire trucks are down below and there's safety nets and all of those types of things. And all of a sudden, everybody's attention zooms in upon that acrobat as for a moment there he is getting his balance and he's weighing his options and he's trained for this moment, but now all of a sudden there has to be a step of faith. You see, he'd never get on that tightrope unless he took the first step. But how many know the first step is often the most courageous step? You have to take the first step because if you don't take the first step, then there's never a second step or a third step. And if you don't start something, you will never have the opportunity to finish something. And so everybody's watching this person, and all of a sudden they get on that rope and they take the first step and they begin to walk slowly across that tightrope. And the crowd below is looking and gasping in anticipation, wondering what is about to happen. And there were a couple moments where that tightrope walker began to wobble under the pressure and strain and stress of that rope. But little by little and step by step, though the task was not easy, they made it to the other side. The crowd was applauding and cheering as this acrobat finished this great act of, of courage as they went from one building to the next. This morning, I didn't come to talk to you about buildings and acrobats. I came to talk to you about the call of God. I came to talk to you about when God calls you to do something and you've been preparing for that. Nobody ever said it would be easy. Nobody ever said there wouldn't be any challenges. But I'm here to talk to somebody this morning and tell you that unless you take the first step, you will never finish the task that God has called you to. I'm here this morning to tell somebody who's been on the fence struggling that it's time to give God yes. You've been maybe in around too long. You've been making excuses about why you can't do this and why you can't do that. But this morning, God is simply just trying to beckon you today and say, will you just say yes to me in the difficult things? And if you take the first step, I'll help you take the rest of the steps. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad God can help us in the midst of difficult things? That's the way it is when we're trusting God, trusting his guidance, trusting his strength. When we commit to the call of God with courage, we can reach the other side of our spiritual journey. But what if I were to tell you this morning that answering the call of God is not always an easy thing? 
See, so many people expect to follow God and expect that everything is going to be easy, but it's not always going to be easy, my friend. There are some difficulties. I'm here to tell somebody that you can't have rainbows without storm clouds. You can't have roses without thorns, and you can't have a baby without travail. If you want the good, you've got to be willing to go through the difficult things. you got to be willing to say yes, even when it hurts. Yes, even when it's stressful. Yes, even when you feel all alone, I'm here to tell you that giving God our yes is not easy, but it is fulfilling. Hallelujah. The book of Jeremiah, a major prophetic work in the Old Testament, known as one of the major prophets, was traditionally attributed to the prophet Jeremiah, who lived in the late 7th and early 6th century BCE. His life and his mission were central to this text. Our text this morning, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10, tell us about the divine call of Jeremiah. It's pivotal because it reveals to Jeremiah that he, he was known by God even in the womb of his mother, designating him a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah begins to talk about how his feelings were in some of that. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But here's what I want to tell you. Jeremiah's ministry was unfolded against the backdrop of tumultuous period in Israel's history. It was marked by decline and the ultimate fall of the southern kingdom. Uh, it's looking at um, this era was many, many challenges that Jeremiah would face. And I want you to listen to me closely this morning. Jeremiah encountered substantial opposition and hardships throughout his ministry. He faced rejection from his own people. Religious leaders and the ruling elite often resisted his call for repentance and warning of God's impending judgment. His unwavering commitment to deliver God's message resulted in persecution, imprisonment, and even being cast into a cistern. See, a lot of us think that when we say yes to God, it's going to be smooth sailing, never going to be any issues. People are ascribing to do great things and not realizing that one day some things are going to happen that are going to try our faith. They're going to be difficult. They're going to be some hard roads to walk. I want to tell you this morning, you need to reject the notion from any shiny-haired salesman who tells you that serving God is easy because it's not always easy. There will be difficulties that we go through in life. But despite all these things, Jeremiah displayed remarkable faithfulness to his calling. Jeremiah walked a lonely road. He was hated by most. He cried a lot. That's why he wrote a book subsequent to the book of Jeremiah called the book of Lamentations. It, Lamentations means weeping or sorrow. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. But yet his courage and boldness and steadfast obedience to God's call, even in the face of extraordinary adversity, proved he was willing to say yes to God even in the middle of difficult things. we got to ask ourselves the question this morning, what can we learn about answering the call of God from the prophet Jeremiah? What can we learn about answering the call of God from the prophet Jeremiah. I want you to go back to our text, Jeremiah chapter 1. And we're going to pick this apart this morning as we do. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. Read it with me. He said, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, 
I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth for you shall go to all whom I send you and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, give us some details about the prophet Jeremiah's life that I think are applicable to each and every one of us as we say yes to whatever it is God has called us to do. You see, some of us in this room are called to be in the secular field. You're called to be a nurse. You're called to be a doctor. You're called to be a truck driver. You're called to be a mom. There are other people in this room that God has set you apart. He's called you to the ministry. In fact, there are probably people listening today who have not given God their yes because you're trying to figure out all the details and how's it going to work and how am I going to live and how am I going to do all these things. But um, And then there are other classifications of people in this room who fit in both of those categories and they're wrestling with God. God, are you really talking to me? Are you talking to my neighbor? Are you talking to the person beside me? But as we read Jeremiah chapter one, there is something that I want you to see. And it's number one, here it is. You ready for this? Number one, God knows us. Somebody say God knows us. I know this might be surprising to some of you, but God knows you. The Bible reveals in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, that, that Jeremiah, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I want you to know that while this applies to the prophet Jeremiah, it also applies to us. This scripture flies in the face of those who are pro-choice. Because this scripture tells us that life doesn't just start at conception. That's when the scientific part of life starts. But life actually starts in the mind of God. The Bible says that God foreknew us and he predestined us to be formed into the image of his son. God knew us before our parents even knew each other. Come on, somebody. God knew us, and God knew everything literally about us. It's, it's a wrestling between this tension of free will and sovereignty in the scripture. You don't have to get on either side of those camps. You can just simply get in both lanes of the road because both of them apply. God called us and he also foreordained us and he knew us. We have the ability to choose our own path and get off of the path, but God already chose the path for us. He already had a plan for our life. I love the way David said it in Psalms. David said, before I was even formed, he already had my days numbered in a book. God knew the very days that we, would, we were ordained to live this life. He knew what we would do. He knew what we would become. He knew our potential. 
potential. But I want to just go a little bit further than that this morning. Not only did God know our plans, not only did God know our purposes and his intentions for our life, but when it says that God knew us, actually it goes a little bit further because he also knew all of our faults and he also knew all of our failures and he also knew all of our stupidity. For while you're sitting here this morning wrestling with, did God call me? Did God really sign me up for this? God, don't you know me? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know my insufficiencies. I'm here to tell you this morning, when God called you, he factored in your stupidity. When God called you, he factored in your failure. When God called you, he factored in what side of the tracks you would be born on. He factored in what kind of parents you would have or what kind of parents you wouldn't have. God factored all of that stuff into your life so that years later, when God finally reveals that call to you, Romans 8 is more true than it's ever been. For all things work together for the good to them who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God knew you. And he factored that into the equation. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Isn't it comforting to know this morning that God already knows us? He factored it into the equation. He knows us so much. So why was it surprising to Jeremiah when God begins to talk to him about his calling and God begins to tell him things and Jeremiah begins to make all of these excuses. Look at the text. It says, for the word of the Lord came saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I sanctified. I, Jeremiah, I set you apart that's what the word sanctified means. I set you apart. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. God set him apart. Let me tell you something. If God has called you, that means God has set you apart for his purpose. He set you apart for his use. Amen. So that we could do something great for God. No matter what God has called us to, we have to give him our yes. We have to give him our yes. So in our text, we see, number one, that God knows us, but here's the second thing, and I want to get a little deeper this morning. Number two, God calls us, and he commissions us. Look at verse 6 through verse 8 with me. Then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, look at the excuses, Cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. God calls us and he commissions us. Not only does God know us, but it is God who calls us. And gives us our marching orders. Amen. Now why am I saying this this morning? Because when you look at the life of Jeremiah. And you take the synopsis of his whole life. That's encapsulated within the pages of Holy Scripture. You understand that Jeremiah did not walk an easy road. He walked a lonely road. He walked a difficult road. And, and what the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 6. Is that God divinely called his servant. 
He was divinely called. Come on, Jeremiah didn't have a call from his grandmother. His youth pastor didn't call him to the ministry. Hello, somebody. He, Jeremiah wasn't called because he thought it paid good. Jeremiah was called because he had a divine call from God. Does anybody in this room still believe in the divine call of God where God puts his mark on a man or a woman and he speaks into them, I have set you apart for this purpose. I have sanctified you for my special work. Does anybody still believe in a divine calling? It's important for us to realize the divine call of God because there will be, as I mentioned, difficult days in life. And if you don't know that you've been called by God, you'll be tempted to quit. You'll be tempted to turn your head from the plow and look back. You'll be tempted to walk away. It's important for us to know that we have a call from God because there will be some teary days and some weary days. I want to remind you that Jeremiah had a divine call from God. Why is this important? It's important because he didn't call himself. He didn't call himself. No, you didn't hear what I said. I said he didn't call himself. You don't call yourself to be a prophet. God calls you to be a prophet. The Bible says a lot about self-appointed this and self-appointed that. It's God who sets into position. It's God who gives the calling. And when God gives the calling, he gives the anointing to function in that calling. The Bible does tell us in the book of Revelation, there is a person who appointed themselves to be a prophet. The Bible says you suffer that woman Jezebel to teach who has called herself a prophetess. Notice John said in the book of Revelation chapter 3 that Jezebel called herself a prophet. She wanted the recognition. She wanted the notoriety. She wanted the popularity. She wanted the influence, but not Jeremiah. Jeremiah, when God called him, he begins to crawfish hole out of the call and say, God, I'm just young. I don't know nothing. I don't know nobody. And God said, Jeremiah, don't just say that you're a young man, for I am calling you and I'm anointing you to go to nations and to kingdoms to pluck up, to tear down, to build and to plant. I have called you with a prophetic prophetic word in your mouth to shift the nations. God had a divine call upon his life. And I must stress this this morning, that it's important for us to know whom has called us. Jeremiah 15, you don't have to turn there, but if you, if you want to go back and study Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah has a, a moment, if you will, I don't know how many of you will be truthful in this room this morning and say, I've had a moment with God, but I've had a moment with God. Jeremiah's moment with God in Jeremiah 15 is much like the moment that Job had in the middle of his trouble. Because Job was going through loss and hardship and losing of family, losing of homes, losing of livestock, losing of all of his possessions. And in those moments, it's easy for us to say, God, where are you? Do you even exist? Do you even hear my prayers? 
I feel forsaken. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. Do you even know my name? And God speaks to Job and says, Job, pull up to my table and let me have a conversation with you. Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky, Job? Where were you when I told the waters to go this far and to stop there? Where were you when the morning stars shouted for joy at the creation of the world? Where were you, Job? And Job had a realization that I know that my Redeemer lives, and he lives to make intercession for me. Job understood that God was with him. Jeremiah had this same lamentation in Jeremiah 15 verse 10 through 18. Jeremiah begins to question his birth and why was I even born? And all I've experienced was hardship and suffering. All I've done was obey God and preach the word that he's given me. All I've done is open my mouth and declare, thus saith the Lord. And people have hated me. They have stoned me. They have falsely accused me. They have placed me in jail. God, why was I even born? hard days. Somebody say hard days. There will be hard days giving God our yes. We'll be tempted to quit. We'll be tempted to turn back. But how many of you know that we cannot quit? We cannot turn back. We have to keep moving, keep pressing, keep following the voice of God no matter what he says to us. I want to read to you a portion of scripture. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah had another one of these uh, encounters with the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. Here's what he said. This is not on the screen, so guys, forgive me. Here's what he said. He said, oh Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and I have, pre and have prevailed. I was in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me. A reproach, a derision daily. And then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor will I speak any more in his name. But his word was like a fire in my heart, like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not, for I heard many mocking fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. For all acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. Jeremiah was having a conversation. He's saying, Lord, you induced me. Basically, what he was trying to say here is, Lord, you tricked me. I said yes to this call, and now all I've got was mocking all the day long. I open my mouth and people are, are upset with me and I prophesy and they say fear on every side. Jeremiah was known as the doomsday prophet. Which by the way, isn't it interesting that all the prophets in the Bible days were not popular? But today in Christianity, everybody wants to be a prophet because they want a Cadillac, they want a house, they want a new car, but they don't want a prophet to say, God's not going to give you one if you're living with the person in it. Hello. Nobody wants that kind of prophet. Like Samuel, where everybody trembled when he came into town because his accuracy rate was 100%, and he said that none of his words fell to the ground. Hello. 
I'm telling you, when they spoke, something happened. If they blew it away, it was blown away. God moved in their midst. If God gave them a word, it came to pass. But this prophetic road was a lonely road. And Jeremiah got derisional, delusional in the middle of all of it. Jeremiah throws his hands up. He says, I'm just going to quit the ministry. Reminds me of Peter. After Jesus was crucified, the Bible says he just went back fishing. You know, he just went and got his stuff that he was familiar with and said, forget this apostle stuff, man. I'm just going to go fishing. That's the way the prophet Jeremiah felt. Jeremiah said, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just done with this. I'm not even going to speak the name of Yahweh anymore. I'm going to close my mouth and will not make any more mention of his name. But I want you to notice this next part. It says, but his word was like a, in my heart, was like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. And I was weary of holding it back, and yet I could not. Here's what Jeremiah was trying to say. In my despair, in my loneliness, in my frustration, in my isolation, when I felt like I had no friends, when I felt like I was misunderstood, when I felt like nobody was there, and I felt like God was a million miles away, I wanted to hang up my towel and quit. I wanted to walk away. I wanted to do anything but to preach or to prophesy or to pray. I, in fact, I was so tired of this ordeal, I wanted to just shut my mouth and never mention his name again. Oh, but Jeremiah goes on to tell us this. His word was like a fire shut up in my heart, shut up in my bones, and I could not keep my mouth shut. Can I tell you something this morning? You may be struggling with discouragement. You may be struggling with temptation to turn around and quit, but I'm here to tell you when God has called you, when God has put his fire on your lips, you cannot turn around and quit because you'll be the most miserable person that you have ever known in all of humanity. A man of God, a woman of God, who's called to do great things for God will be miserable sitting on the sidelines, not doing what God has called them to do. But Jeremiah said, God, I'm frustrated, isolated, and alone, but I will not quit. It's like fire. Shut up in my bones. Our text, Jeremiah says, Lord, I'm too young. I feel like Timothy was told that too, where Paul told Timothy, let nobody despise you for your youth. Timothy, God's called you. Timothy went on to be the pastor of the biggest known church at that time, the church of Ephesus, thousands of people. Don't let anybody despise you for your youth. And then look at what he says. This has always struck me as funny, but I can relate. Verse number seven, but the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatsoever I command you, you will speak. Look at verse eight. He said, do not be afraid of their faces. 
That doesn't make any sense to some of you until you've been where some of us have been. Until we get to preaching up in your neighborhood. When we get to preaching about your business. When we get to preaching about what you're going through. See, some of y'all think, well, Pastor Brad, boy, they must know everything about us. No, we just preach the book. And if you get convicted, that's your fault, honey. But let me tell you something. The IRS puts a tax notice in the mailbox through the UPS. You don't get mad at the postal lady. Hello. You just realize somebody delivered the mail. And this morning, there's a lot of times when we're preaching and we're praising. People are looking at us with the meanest of scowls. They look dead spiritually. Look like they've been sucking on lemons. Look like they've been, want to be everywhere but in the house of God. But God said, don't look at their faces, Jeremiah, because you'll get discouraged. You keep your eyes on me. And if you keep your eyes on me, I will fulfill the call that I have upon your life. Because it's me that calls and commissions you, Jeremiah. I'm just getting primed up this morning. I want you to look at verse number 9 and 10. Help me, Jesus. But then the Lord put his hand forth and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I've put my words. Somebody say my words. I've put my words in your mouth. And see that I have set this day you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Thirdly, this morning, number three, not only does God call and commission us, but number three, it is God who empowers us. If you're struggling with giving God your yes this morning, you need to realize that your yes on the other side, help me, Holy Ghost, on the other side of your yes is where you find God's strength. Because it takes courage to say yes. But on the other side of your yes is where we find God's strength. And where we find God's strength, we find his ability to complete and finish that which he's called us to do. But got news for you this morning. If you let people deter you from what God has called you to do, you would never do nothing. I wasn't going to share this, but it's funny. God has a sense of humor. This week I, I posted something online about the war in Israel with Gaza, and I got, a, I got an email, hateful email, from, from somebody uh, saying how stupid I was, how dumb I was, how I was misappropriating the scripture, and da-da-da, and causing fear, and whatever, and, you know, uh, it aggravated me for a moment, then I just kind of forgot about it, and, and then I was driving back home, and we stopped in a town that we used to live in, and a man inside of a, a motorcycle shop says, Pastor Brad. I looked. I didn't recognize the man. I'd never seen him before in my life. He said, hey, you don't know me. He said, but I know people that you know. And he said, I've been watching your ministry on YouTube for years. And he said, I just want to encourage you, keep preaching it straight down the middle. Now, why did I even tell you that story? 
I don't want you to clap because I didn't say that as a brag. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It, you listen, you can't, you can't let you, you can't, oh, help me. You can't die by their criticism, but you also can't get puffed up by their praise. We don't do it for men. Hallelujah. We do it for God. And I want you to know sometimes when you preach, you're going to make some people happy and you're going to make other people mad. But at the end of the day, you've got to open your mouth like a trumpet and say, thus saith the Lord. And listen, God is the one who performs what he will do. You can't die by their criticism and you can't thrive by their praise. It's funny to me. Notice this, verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand. Somebody say his hand. The ability to fulfill God's assignment for your life does not come from your own strength, but rather it comes from the strength of God. His hand. Somebody say his hand. You, you say, why are you asking us to say that? Because the Bible says two things about hand. The Bible says, woe unto him who puts his, his confidence in the arm of the flesh. You, you can't go into serving God on your own abilities. Well, I'm a good preacher. I'm a good administrator. I'm a good business leader. Uh, listen, it's not about the arm of your flesh. But the Bible talks about another arm in the Scripture. The Bible says in the book of Psalms when he brought them out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt, he brought Israel out of Egypt, it says that he upheld them with his righteous right hand. So the Bible says then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched Jeremiah's mouth, watch this, and said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah was not tasked with prophesying his own thoughts. Hello. Jeremiah was not tasked with prophesying his own opinions. God is not authorized nor is he obligated to anoint our thoughts or our opinions. God only anoints his word. And he said, I've put my word, Jeremiah, in your mouth. And look what he goes on to say there. See, I, somebody say I, God is making a distinction. There is a lot of me and I in this passage. He says, see, I have set this day you over the nations, Jeremiah, and I've set you over the kingdoms. Why? To root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Can I tell you why Jeremiah was hated so much? Because God was trying to do something in the nation of Israel. Whom was gone doing this and doing that. They were in a time of prosperity and God was blessing. Or they were blessed and they had houses and they had lands. And, and when Jeremiah would come to town and he would preach, they, they were so comfortable in their circumstances that they weren't paying him any attention. And so God's call to Jeremiah, it seemed negative. But it wasn't negative. Jeremiah, you got to root out. 
That means when you go into somewhere, you're going to have to root out some things. You're going to have to pull down some things. Then you're going to have to destroy some things and throw down some things. Why? Because you're going to build and you're going to plant. But how many of you know you can't build and plant on roots and rocks and crusty foundations and idolatry and sexual immorality and, and, and all these types of backslidden ways that the children of Israel were in? And so Jeremiah had a strong word. And that strong word got him in a place where nobody wanted to be around him. But at the end of the day, God empowered him. And at the end of the day, God has called you to something. God has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives. None of us are exempt from doing the work and the will of God. It just all looks different for each one of us. But yet there are some people that God has set apart for specific use. For some, it's to be a pastor. For some, it's to be a missionary. Others, to be Bible teachers and evangelists and prophets of God and all the other gifts that God gives us. But I feel like the Lord wanted me to deliver this word in this Courage series today to just both encourage somebody and to warn them. Don't believe the lie that on the other side of the yes is all types of pleasant stuff because life is in seasons. In one season, you might be blessed and have everything you want. And in another season, God may tell you to sell everything you have and move to the far-flung places of the earth. You don't know. Paul said it like this. I've learned to be abased, and I've learned to be abound. I've learned to have uh, abundance, and I've learned to be in want. But in all states, I've learned to be content. Why? Because it's better to be in the will of God and to have little than to be out of the will of God and have much. Come on, somebody. I'd rather be in the will of God and have everything that he has for my life. Life. But at the end of the day, even if I have no stuff, I serve the God who can get the stuff. And my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I'm telling you, God is the one who enables. God is the one who empowers. And if he has spoken it to your heart, he'll be faithful to complete what he started. I'm finishing this morning. I may not be talking to everybody, but I do know that I'm talking to somebody. And even, just even, if it's just one person who says, God, I'm giving you my yes today. Yes to the difficult. Yes to the uncertain. Yes to the risky. 
yes to the unknown. I want you to know something today. God's grace, God's power is on the other side of your yes. I want everybody to close their Bibles for a moment. And I want you to stand.